Welcome to the All Things Bright and Beautiful podcast. I'm Jenna DePrima here with my co-host Lydia Shibley, and this is a discussion of life, books, and theology from a confessionally reformed Christian perspective. In this episode, we'll be discussing Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. We're using Karen Swallow Pryor's guide to reading and reflecting on Frankenstein, and she uses the manuscript of Frankenstein first published in 1818. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to this episode of All Things Bright and Beautiful. Lydia, it's great to be here with you. Hey, it's good to be back. Lydia and I actually just went to the beach together a few weeks ago. We had a trip with our families and were able to spend a few days at the beach and had a great time. And I was kind of joking because I was reading our current book that we're going to be discussing tonight oh, yeah. at the beach. <laughs> and the just kind of the setting, I guess, of where we were really ha- was a stark contrast to what yeah, we're going to nice be discussing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm very excited to discuss it. I think we've, we were both talking even before recording this, just how much we enjoyed reading and yes. all of the, I mean, I think, I think you would probably echo what I, what I think that there's so much we could discuss. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to condense it, it down, is. you know, into a short, episode podcast episode yeah um so tonight as as we said we're going to be discussing the book Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and just to give a little bit of background on the novel Frankenstein was actually first published in 1818 and then it came out with there was a later edition that came out in 1831 and so the first edition um was written um under actually Mary Shelley first published it under an anonymous Mm -hmm. name and then kind of later came out published under her name and the later edition includes some just some I guess edits to the the story as well as apparently I think in the earlier edition her husband Percy Shelley who was a famous um, poet Mm -hmm. in the romantic era made some edits to her work that I think maybe she changed some of that and in the later edition and so actually most of the editions that are out today are that later 1831 edition but the 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 book that we're using Karen Swallow Pryor's guide she actually chooses to use that earlier 1818 edition Um, anyway so the the story is about Frankenstein who a lot of people think based on kind of modern adaptations of the book and movies that Frankenstein is the monster in the story but Frankenstein is actually the scientist who Mm -hmm. creates this this creature and this monster and so it tells the story of Victor Frankenstein who's a young scientist who creates this uh, creature in a in a science experiment and kind mm-hmm. of gives life to this monster and um, throughout the the book it's kind of it's a story of the it's written in what's called a frame narrative right. and so it's actually written some in letters and some in uh, various perspectives, various stories from different people. So some of some of the letters and the stories are told from Victor's perspective. Mm-hmm. Some are actually told from the monster's perspective. And then the the whole story is kind of framed in the beginning and then the very end in uh, Frankenstein's friend Walton, right. who discovers him while he's I think out in like the Arctic I, I guess yeah, Arctic, right yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, on a ship he's and, on an and finds Frankenstein right he's on an expedition yeah right. and he finds Frankenstein. And so the, the story kind of starts and ends with him finding Frankenstein and then Frankenstein telling this tale, this horrible tale of right. everything that's happened to him. And then, like I said, there's parts where the monster story kind of is woven into mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so I th- um, probably with the interesting thing about Frankenstein is when you first sort of read it on like just a just a 
basic reading. You don't know any of the sort of background behind it. You don't know anything about Mary Shelley. You just get this tale that's it's it's one of like the first sci-fi mm-hmm. monsters. I think I think she's actually credited as the first industrial revolution science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get this just it's a masterful tale of of this this monster and and she has sort of that romantic era writing which just draws from from nature and and is really detailed in a lot of the descriptions of things and so you get the picture where you really do feel like you're kind of immersed in the story Mm -hmm. and um at the time would be very frightful and I think sometimes when we you so you you read it and you think, well, this is a little bit fantastic. He brings a body to life with electricity. But at the time, um, Mary and her husband at the time, Percy Shelley, were had attended some different lectures that were considered highly regarded as scientific about this like animation mm-hmm. through electricity. So if you if you think of it in those terms, like at the time she's writing it, she's she's taking a picture of what was current science, right? Um, and, and spinning it into this tale of sort of science gone wrong in a lot of ways. Right. So I guess, yeah, in our modern day, you would you should think of it in terms of something that would seem really feasible to us in our right. modern day scientifically. That would have been very feasible to them at that time. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could take it into into a lot of our bioethical debates. Right, you right. have a, a lot of this idea of, of life and, and right. death and that kind of thing. And so she's, she's framing it within that, which mm-hmm. is just really brilliant for, I mean, she started writing it around 16 or 17 years old. So mm-hmm. she's very young. When she wrote it but it's it's um just incredible so some of the background on her though as you read it you get there's a much deeper sense that mary is talking about herself in a lot of ways it's mm-hmm. kind of almost an autobiographical novel um and it skips around and trying to figure out who who is she actually framing as who but you as you read it you start to and you understand where she's coming from and what the what her own background is mm-hmm. and the culture that she's living in at the time and a lot of the big ideas that are coming up we have romanticism which we talked about which is the idea that um that passion over reason and just a lot of these just emotional responses are very important and a lot of this self-actualization is very important right and so she and, and this I'll just yeah. interrupt you like this is this is considered in addition to the first scientific fiction novel this is also right. considered a work of romantic fiction right and was written during the romantic era and she's certainly heavily influenced by the Both romantic Shel- her husband, and her husband yeah. Shelley and yeah yeah right and then and her parents too so her parents were also both famous writers they were um William Godwin and Mary Wollstonecraft they were they were both philosophers and writers um and they had just radical ideas coming coming up in the time that they were they were um they were like espoused free love and they scorned marriage they said that no one should get married um even though they were even married, though they were right, married yeah. <laughs> which they got married because she was pregnant with Mary at the right, time right. um and then and both her and Percy Shelley considered themselves disciples of okay. of her parents. And mm-hmm. so all of those ideas were kind of what she was brought up among. She didn't know her mom. Her mom died at her birth, but she grew up reading her mom's books. And so she right. just considered herself very much like in step with what her mom thought. And Mary Wollstonecraft, if you're not familiar with her, wrote one of her most famous works is, I believe it's called On, on Vindication of the Rights, Rights of, of Women. women. Right. And she was part of the the feminist movement right in England Mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's kind of her a little bit of her background yeah and so she if you you see a lot of these ideas that they had and she kind of grew up in and then Percy her husband although they didn't get married right away again until she got pregnant Mm -hmm. um 
they kind of come into the book and you, you if you look at Victor Frankenstein as sort of the, the ideologue and then Mary almost p- puts herself in the position as the monster. Mm. And she's, she's sort of in this position because – so she, her parents – espouse this idea of free love mm-hmm. don't get married marry marriage is an institution that's bad for women so then she meets percy shelley who her father knew and highly regarded um she was 16 at the time shelley or percy shelley was 22 i think so there was a six-year difference between well, i them. think he was married to someone he was else, married right? to another yeah. woman yeah. and had left her right. and came to their home um there was a lot of complications with money money was mm-hmm. kind of always involved with all of them so she falls in love with percy runs off with percy and so she thinks my father would approve of this because this is just me following in the footsteps of what both my parents mm-hmm. said were good things her father disowns her Hmm. and won't affirm any of what she's doing won't talk to her anymore and so Hmm. she has this feeling of rejection which is a lot of what we see reflected Mm -hmm. in the whole book and so looking at it and seeing if you if you look at the creature um of her of her seeing herself in that position I think shifts a lot of the it, it you start to see that it's not you can look at it as Yes, it's ideas about scientific things, but I right. think it's also she's she's sort of pushing at us consequences of even our ideas in general. Like, right, what does right. that do when mm-hmm. we have idea big ideas, radical ideas? Mm-hmm. Does it have a consequence that's big? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think another significant thing about her story is that she lost. I think her first was it her firstborn she, child or she lost. I know she lost, yes, several children. And so Karen, so the the version of Frankenstein we're reading, as I've mentioned, is by Karen Swallow Pryor. And she does a really good job of giving a brief introduction into Mary Shelley and then just into kind of some of the uh, themes in Frankenstein. And then she has discussion questions after each volume of Frankenstein. So there's three volumes to Frankenstein. She has questions after each. And so one thing that she brings up, just given Mary's background and her history, is that she says that Mary was haunted by death Mm -hmm. um, in her own life and not just death itself but death tied to creation so death tied to birth of children Mm -hmm. essentially seemed to be a a major theme in her own life that certainly has a a large role in her her uh, novel right because she her mother died giving birth to her right she had she suffered from one miscarriage and then she had two more children that died they all also surrounding the lives of the Shelley there were three different people that committed suicide, mm-hmm. um, okay. two of whom were Shelley's, Percy Shelley's former wife who committed suicide, and then which in a lot of her journals, Mary sort of puts on herself because she's the, the woman who he left his wife for. Right. And so she has this very big sense of death sort of following her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there anything, I know you've done a lot more reading about Mary Shelley than I have. Is there, if someone was interested in learning more about her, is there a certain book you would recommend yeah so there's a book called romantic outlaws by uh charlotte gordon and it it actually alternates between mary shelley and her mom mary wollstonecraft so each chapter follows their life and it it, it's a little confusing to kind of do it that way but it makes for very interesting because so much of mary shelley's life was shaped by her mother's ideas Mm. um because like she even says that she learned to read at her mother's gravestone by tracing her name i think karen swallow Pryor mentions that Mm -hmm. in the book in the introduction um and so she she really just – she tried to even follow some of her mother's ideas around the country because her mother was heavily influenced by the French Revolution. Um, she went to France during as, – as all of the, the reign of terror was happening. Um, and so even in some of their travels, when she traveled with Percy Shelley kind of after she left her father's home, they traveled all over the world – like not all, all over Europe mm-hmm. – um, 
and she tried to sort of follow around her mother's pilgrimage of of sort of freedom, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, so following both of their biographies is really helpful to, I think, understand where Mary Shelley was coming from. Right. Um, and to see how her ide- ideas were really shaped. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what Gordon comments on her like history like the the history is very solid I mean a lot of the things that she talks about are well known if you were to like go to Wikipedia Mm -hmm. you would find them and so she's very good about talking about all of the the actual historical events but some of her commentary I would not necessarily agree with but it's still a good source I think to kind of get your feet wet in it right yeah and so this as by all accounts as far as we can tell Mary Shelley certainly wasn't a Christian and isn't writing this book from I guess a a Christian worldview so what is the value? Why are we? This is actually, I guess, our, this is, is our, our first departure yeah. from, I guess, a kind Christian of a Christian author. author. Yeah. yeah. So what, what is the value of talking about Frankenstein? Yeah. So I think Mary would probably, in, in her writings, you could see her as maybe a deist. She would still recognize a creator. And that's some of what her commentary ends up being in Frankenstein mm-hmm. as well. But her husband, Percy Shelley, was an atheist. He was actually kicked out of university for his atheistic thoughts. A lot mm-hmm. of his poetry really hints at that. So she was heavily influenced by atheism mm-hmm. as well. A lot of their friends... Um, by- the poet Byron was also one of their really close friends and traveled with him. He was also a, a big atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you don't get Christian themes mm-hmm. necessarily when you read Frankenstein. However, as you read it, I think you really do get a picture of um, kind of like we talked about way back in our very first episode about reading books that sort show the hollowness when we exclude mm-hmm. God, I yeah. think. And I think that's what you see in Frankenstein is like mm-hmm. what happens when mankind actually has their fate in their mm-hmm. own hands mm-hmm. and it's not pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't. I do think it's a complex novel that I found myself wondering and kind of am still wondering what did Mary Shelley mm-hmm. believe about God and what is she trying to say about God in her novel? Because I think you can, I think sometimes we can oversimplify it and think like, well, she's saying that science is bad and right. God doesn't exist. And, and that might be true, but I think it's actually a lot more complex <laughs> than that. And, and so yes. I found that very interesting just thinking through many of the different, she, I think she poses a lot, kind of a lot of questions in yeah. her narrative that she doesn't really give answers to, mm-hmm. but they're great questions to think about and things that we can discuss with other Christians and also with non-Christians. You know, I think right. they bring to light a lot of the the things that we grapple with just mm-hmm. as human beings living in a fallen and a sinful world. Yeah, I think I think actually what I love about her is that she doesn't give us answers. Yeah. She really does just kind of present. And I think it's because you get the sense that as you're reading it that she's really kind of criticizing the life she's currently living. Because right, she did right. write it. So she wrote it I, at, in the middle of their sort of travels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was – it was right in the middle of when her father had rejected her, okay. right, as she's not married to Shelley at that point in time. She's very faithful to him. She has no interest in anyone else – you don't get that sense from Shelley having the same fidelity towards her. There's a lot of like, there's not any, a lot of confirmed things, but there's rumors of him having affairs with multiple different and people even, around her. I think there's her. a rumor of he, him being in love with like her sister. Yeah, her sister. Or, there's, yeah. there's kind of, it's it, unsure if her, yeah. so her sister got pregnant. They're unsure whether or not it was through mm-hmm. Byron or Shelley. Yeah. There's just a lot of, drama surrounding them you kind of get the sense that you're like listening to like my chemical romance sometimes (laughs) because it's like it's very dramatic and like dark very very, dark and just yeah just like the ultimate sort of like emo tale (laughs) a little bit like there's just a lot of darkness surrounding it but you um you really do get the sense that she's kind of questioning the very ideals that she's living right so Mm -hmm. but but I think part of the reason she doesn't give answers is because she's still living them so she hasn't rejected them necessarily but I think she's still kind of through this novel, 
working them out while also working out that like this idea of losing her babies mm-hmm. and like you know just a lot of yeah. a lot of different things and I think that's why it's so valuable for us to read mm-hmm. um because those are really good questions to ask mm-hmm. and to not just be given the answers right. by the person writing it and then you know taking our bibles along with us and saying like what where does the bible diverge from this and, mm-hmm. and where do we see the differences and 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 where are the answers that she doesn't provide for us right. are, are they in scripture yeah yeah, and I think it is a good, uh, as I mentioned, something great to discuss with Christians and non-Christians and to th- just think about, yeah, these these are questions that we need to, to think through ourselves and have, have our, our own thoughts about. And they may, they will likely, hopefully will be different than Mary Shelley's, right. but that, that doesn't lessen the importance of our need to think about them. Mm-hmm. And I hope also if you, if you haven't read Frankenstein, our hope is that you'll still get a lot out of us discussing this. We do, yeah. we do hope you will read it, but even if you haven't read it yet, you know, our hope is that you will um, enjoy the discussion and that, and that, and in really in all of our episodes, we, we aim to use books as kind of a launching off point mm-hmm. to talk about important topics and things right. and have conversations that matter. And so um, our hope is that you would read many of these books, but even if you haven't, that you will still get a lot out of what we're what we're saying. Yeah, it's not like a literature class where you have to make sure you've read it before <laughs> right. you yes. you come to the discussion table. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we talked a lot about even the just how death and life are really intermingled in Mary's in her thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because she's thinking of birth and she, but then with birth, she's experienced so much death, right? And so I think that theme of life and death is is just kind of woven all through her book, mm-hmm. and you you kind of you kind of come to the question, and I, I I think it's really interesting to think about because you have you have Victor, he has this singular ambition to create life and and to to sort of he wants to bring what he calls like the philosopher's stone and the I can't remember like something elixir um but in order to to change humanity's fate and to Mm -hmm. to make sure basically to bring immortality to Mm -hmm. humans and so that's kind of he wants to play god right and you very much get that sense that as he's talking about it so he's he's reiterating his his tale to walton um, who's picked him up in the Arctic and basically telling him about this ambition that he had and how he mm-hmm. how he pursued science but also the occult um, and alchemy and all these things and mixed them together in this aim to really be God. And mm-hmm. and you you have this like sort of arrogance underlying a lot of what he says. And but then you kinda of, he brings this thing to life with, through electricity. So he had he's he's patched together this creature from I think it's Human parts, but yeah. also animal parts, if I remember correctly. Or is it just I, I, human I just, parts? I don't remember. I know it's just a lot of body parts. Yeah, and it's all it's all kind of patched together. And if mm-hmm. you've ever seen like a Frankenstein movie, they're all it's it's like this hideous stitched together thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because before he animates it, he has this sense that it's beautiful, and he calls mm-hmm. it his creature. Right. And then he electrifies it and it comes to life and almost immediately he talks about how it's grotesque and then he calls it his enemy almost yeah. like maybe like three pages later it's right. not very long and before he, talks he switches about, that he's filled with horror kind yeah of immediately as soon yeah. as he brings it to life yeah. but then but you kind of do look at this and you you kind of go like well what does it like is the creature human is it possible for us to right to bring life to something that was not in any way like a human life mm-hmm. to begin with and like where does the soul enter the creature call, tells us he has a soul, but right. does Victor have the power to give a soul mm-hmm. to something? And so I think it really does give us this sort of thing to think through of, um, well, I think I think the quote that the, the creature says, so the creature, eventually they, they meet together, 
he finally tracks down Victor, who's kind of run away from him. It's it's a long time. He's learned, the creature has learned how to talk, and all this stuff has kind of happened in between. And he narrates to Victor his experience and, and how he felt being rejected by Victor. And one mm-hmm. of the things he says to Victor is, who was I? Mm-hmm. What was I? Whence did I come? What was my destination? These mm-hmm. questions continually recurred, but I was unable to solve them. And so you get this this picture of this creature saying basically like, who am I and where did I come from? Right. And he gets no answer from Victor, mm-hmm. which I think as Christians is just such a, an interesting parallel mm-hmm. because then you have in Christianity, you have, we ask that same question, like, mm-hmm. who are we? Where did we come right. from? And what's our purpose? You know, destiny, we don't say destination, but we say purpose. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we do have an answer to that. And mm-hmm. you have this, you have this sort of contrast of creation story where you have Victor creating this creature and being appalled right and I think Mary did this she would have been familiar with the creation narrative mm-hmm. and so I think she did that intentionally when in contrast you have God creating man and breathing life into him it's not right. this mechanic so Victor does it mechanically with electricity and machines mm-hmm. and God does it in this intimate loving way and then he calls it good right and so just thinking through how magnificent that is Mm -hmm. that we do have a god that creates us in that way Mm -hmm. um and and to think of of what sort of that that picture she provides of of what it would be like if we did have a godless world right what are we what is our purpose and even the monster himself draws a contrast between he talks about how even god created man in his own image Mm -hmm. and yet essentially he says i'm you know not created in anyone's image and and that i thought i found that fascinating that he even recognizes that. So mm-hmm. she she is clearly drawing parallels to the Genesis narrative yeah. and to to creation. And that we do, as you've said, we we do have an answer to why we exist, that we exist right. for God's glory and that we're created in his image and mm-hmm. that we are um, created, you know, in by a loving, beneficent, right. good creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Victor Frankenstein, who right. immediately is horrified by his creation and uh, does not love his creation. Right. And it's just so self-absorbed. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. just the sense yeah. you get from him of like, yeah. there's no, I mean, yeah, there's no love really, that, that any sense of love that you get mm-hmm. from Victor. So uh, I guess kind of along the lines of, of what you're saying later in the book, there's a quote actually by the um, the monster that Karen Swallow-Pyre kind of makes the argument, or not an argument, but she poses a question that leads us to to think that this is one of the the passages that kind of encapsulates the entire novel, and I, I tend to agree with her. I think I think it does. Um, and just to give a little background before I'm going to read this quote, but essentially what what happens a little bit later in the novel is the the monster he follows a, a family. He lives in the woods for a long time, mm-hmm. and he actually does good for them. So he like brings wood to them, mm-hmm. and he he loves them, and he he learns their language, and he wants he's just waiting until he can befriend them, and he right. he hopes that they will love him, and he ends up encountering them, and they're immediately horrified by him and want to kill him, mm-hmm. and so it's it's then that's at that point he says that's the first time that he ever feels a desire for vengeance or right. feels a. a, a yeah, kind of an evil mm-hmm. uh, desire. And before that, really, he, he says his desires were good and right. um, benevolent. And so that that happens. And so there's a quote by the uh, monster later in the novel, and he's saying this to Victor Frankenstein. He says, Remember that I am thy creature. I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather thy f- the fallen angel, mm-hmm. whom thou drivest from joy for no misdeed. Everywhere I see bliss from which I alone and 
am irrevocably excluded. I was benevolent and good. Misery made me a fiend. Make me happy and I shall again be virtuous. And so the monster is asking Frankenstein to create a, a basically a, a woman wife. monster, yeah. a wife, yeah. <laughs> and and that's kind of, that's it. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure, talk about this a little bit more later, but that's a, a kind of a major theme throughout the novel, really from Victor Frankenstein and from the monster, mm-hmm. is this solitary uh, life and isolation yeah. and desire for companionship. And so, yeah, the monster wants him, him to make him a wife, and he thinks that, if he could just have some kind of companion like him that looked right. like him, then he'd be happy and he would no longer need to to do these evil things or to be miserable. And so what, I guess, yeah, what did you make of this quote? Like, do you think that this does kind of encapsulate a lot of the themes of the novel or the meaning behind the novel? I think so. I think that, um, well, and you, you also, we talked about romanticism a little bit before, and I think that's an important element to keep in mind um, as you read Mary Shelley is is this idea that so the romantics also believe they followed Rousseau's thinking bear with me as I throw out a bunch of names (laughs) it's worth it I promise um Rousseau thought that um that people were inherently good Mm -hmm. and that it was society that corrupted them Mm -hmm. and so you do get that sense as the monster so the monster sort of or creature starts in nature Mm -hmm. and he's fine and he survives on on whatever is there and as he gets closer and closer to civilization he encounters more and more evil Mm -hmm. and so you get this idea that she builds up the novel towards saying the closer you are to civilization the more wickedness there is and that's Mm -hmm. not because man is inherently bad but because society corrupts them and that's very much in line with the Rousseau and both of her parents who were heavily influenced by Rousseau Mm -hmm. and that romantic movement Shelley would Percy Shelley would have agreed with the same idea Mm -hmm. um which, yeah, so I think she's very much building that picture. However, right. you still do get sort of, again, I think she still kind of questions her own mm-hmm. philosophy because you do get a sense that both both Victor and the creature dismiss a lot of the wicked things that they do um, and blame it on other people, and yet you still see them as villains. Uh-huh. And so right. you don't, like, as you as you sort of read it, you're like, I mean, yes, I can sympathize with you, but you've done such wicked things, mm-hmm. and the blame is all. And it's like you've witnessed good as well. Like for the creature especially, he witnesses this loving family right. who have suffered. Right. They've faced, they've faced injustice, and yet they've responded in love and mm-hmm. in loving one another. And, and yet he still chooses vengeance, and he's so quick to just switch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think on the one hand, yes, she is, is saying that people are inherently good, and yet I think there is still like a hint of question of about question that. About that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, too, it's helpful to understand the, the romantics, with, they're coming from, they have more of a humanistic understanding that right. the creator uh, – is wrong to make a creation that doesn't ask to be born essentially, which certainly would be very, would not coincide with, with our view, our Christian view, but that, um, they, so therefore the creator bears a, a greater, um, responsibility or yeah, guilt than his fallen creation Mm -hmm. does. And I think you can see that for sure kind of in her novel that, that the, that the monster does bear guilt eventually, you know, but that it seems like, Victor Frankenstein bears more guilt because sure, yeah, he's, he's the created villain. this monster. Yeah, right. he's kind of the ultimate villain. Um, and, you know, I think you can make the argument that I think Karen Swallow Pryor says this in her book that Victor exemplifies what's called the Byronic hero, mm-hmm. which is basically uh, someone who a character who has the hero can be misleading term. And right. It's it, not positive. Yeah, the yeah. Byronic hero is not a positive thing. And that 
it's someone who's typically guilt-laden and and kind of alienated and haunted by some kind of mysterious guilt and all right. these things that are characteristic of Victor Frankenstein. Um, and so I think understanding even even that aspect of of her novel did as we as we kind of just talked about made me even more thankful for uh, a creator who who is good right you know and yeah. that who does have good motives and who mm-hmm. does love us and um certainly loves his creation right. in spite of our sin so um very different picture than this picture that mary shelley gives us yeah it is really interesting because i think sometimes when we look at the the creature the victor creature comparison we look at it and we think like oh it's like it's like god and and adam but even the creature points it out and and you, like the creature has been reading he learns to read from this family he finds in the woods it sounds really random when you just start <laughs> yeah telling it's it. hard to explain <laughs> but, the whole yeah. thing yeah but he and so he he takes from them the book paradise lost yes um by john milton john milton yeah. i said yeah mm-hmm. um i don't know why i couldn't remember his <laughs> name um and in that, that's that's the fall of Adam. It's yes. a poetic retelling of the fall of Adam and Eve. And in it is a very central character of Satan. There's right. a lot more expanded and on him. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I sh- probably should have mentioned that. That quote that I just read is in that that passage where right. Frank, or where excuse me, the monster is talking about reading Paradise mm-hmm. Lost, and he talks about how he he loves it and kind of almost viewed it as his own history. Right. Like, and so when he's talking in that quote about himself being the fallen angel, it is an he allusion is, yeah. to Satan in Paradise Lost, right. which is a very central. Um, character i guess in, yeah in paradise Lost. In, in fact milton was very heavily criticized for how attractive he makes satan because mm. he people people were like we sympathize too much with satan and mm-hmm. that, i think that's the sense that you get from from the mon- the monster is like you should sympathize with me i didn't ask for this right um i mean that's not what milton is trying to communicate i think um it's it's much more complex than that obviously mm-hmm. but yeah you get the sense that it's not it's not a God Adam relationship between these two. It's a God Satan relationship, right. um, which I think is it makes a little bit of a shift between sort of their rivalry mm-hmm. that comes out more towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the the themes that I I kind of just mentioned um, that I found particularly interesting and I really appreciated Karen Swallow Pryor brings up in her introduction is this theme of of solitude and isolation. And so mm-hmm. we see. First of all, that Victor Frankenstein makes his kind of all of his discoveries and his advances in isolation and seems like bad things kind of happen yeah. when he's isolated. <laughs> um, and so she, Karen Swallow Pryor makes the point, she says, and I'll just read some of this because I thought it was so good. She says that the modern church has placed much attention on teaching about and serving the family, and we have given less attention to friendship, often substituting mentoring and accountability relationships for the genuine companionship for which human beings were created hmm. and centering friendships and the desire for family or excuse me and the desire for friendship in the story Frankenstein invites us to consider the importance of companionship in our lives as well as the danger of not having good friends I just thought that was so important because I do think that that is is often very true that things like teaching about the family are, are good and right. important and God or has ordained the family right. and that but so all of that is good but that we can I think in the church often do that to the neglect of talking about how the church family is mm-hmm. also our family and right. how we need spiritual friendship yep. we need companionship and that God has created us with that desire that that's mm-hmm. a good desire um and so I I just found that I think in this in the novel you see the absence of that and kind right. of, and what that leads to and so you see th- just the the evil that comes from Victor Frankenstein working in isolation as well mm-hmm. as the the monster who certainly throughout the novel 
talks about his longing for companionship right. and for friendship and for someone like him and that if he just had that 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 would make him happy and would keep him from doing these evil things now whether that's, well, that's true, true or not, not yeah. I don't know um, but that it is an interesting thought that mm-hmm. I think Mary Shelley is presenting to us that kind of the, the evils that happen when man is alone or when man mm-hmm. doesn't have this this companionship and then that really isn't what we're created for right and and like the the depth of friendship too because so you have Walton and who's the the, the expedition he's sailing in the Arctic and he finds he finds Frankenstein and he expresses I just want he's because he's writing letters to his sister and he just says I just want a friend essentially mm-hmm. and so you do get this repeated theme even with Walton that's framing outside of the narrative of wanting a friend and he sees Victor Frankenstein as sort of this this friend and I think more what she's getting at is is having a friend who who does share that sort of I don't want to say ideals, but kind of that idea, mm-hmm. which we have in the church. Right. And I think that that's, um, that there is something to that idea of we have this, this shared vision and we have this mm-hmm. shared, um, these shared central things that knit us together. Mm-hmm. And that is what people desire. And that's right. where we thrive. We thrive yeah. with friendships that are like that and not friendships like, because so Victor does have friendships that are throughout the book, but you don't get a sense that they're good friendships. Mm-hmm. His, some of his friends are good. Victor is not a good friend. Right. Um, yes. He's, he's all about himself. He's very, right. very much about his own selfish ambition. He neglects mm-hmm. his friends when it's convenient. He goes to them when he wants them, mm-hmm. even with his relationship with his, his cousin who then becomes his wife. Um, you get this sense that it's, it's just all about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she really does sort of set up this idea of like, what about, do we, um, require or would we benefit from the right type of friendship? Right. And again, she doesn't answer it, but right. I think that that, that desire is there. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a desire that all of us have. Yeah. And we would say, I mean, we know from God's word that right. we are, there's certainly many proverbs about, I mean, I can't, I guess I can't the quote a specific one right now, but essentially that you become the the company that you're around right. I'm totally like yeah. not quoting that really, but that's the idea you know and that you good good friend those who are your friends do do influence you yes. certainly mm-hmm. um and in addition that we we are certainly throughout especially the new testament we see so many one another's of scripture mm-hmm. like the things that we can only do together so there's so many ways we cannot fulfill scripture f- excuse me fulfill scripture unless we are in close fellowship right. in the church with other believers. And so there, we can't live the Christian life in isolation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's certainly something we can apply to our own lives and that I often mm-hmm. think about and pray for and, and often see my need of is close friendships that um, do spur me on and point mm-hmm. me to Christ and that and that it can be, I think, easy because we get busy, because we're, we're selfish a lot of times, frankly, right. it's it's easy to neglect friendships or mm-hmm. to maybe miss the importance of them until we, I think, all of a sudden realize, oh, I'm I'm lonely or yeah, I'm, I sure. need that, you know, yeah. and that and that to to let that kind of be a warning to us that we do need we need friendships, mm-hmm. we need fellowship, we need community, and that we need to fight. To, to not neglect those things that I think for a lot of people, I know for myself, my natural bent can often be um, to neglect those things until I, until it's almost too late. I mean, that yeah. sounds really or until you ominous, just are, but yeah, desperate. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and that, yeah, just to, to fight against that and to really make, make relationships a priority, even mm-hmm. in the midst of the busyness yeah. of life. I think too, like you get the sense that um, in the very beginning, as he's, as he's starting in on this venture with the, the monster um, or the creature, I mean, they call it, I don't know. There's, yeah. I use it interchangeably. <laughs> yeah. He becomes a monster. Starts yeah. as a creature, becomes a monster. <laughs> but he, he, 
he isolates himself, I think largely because he knows what he's doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so he does have friends who are kind of asking after him. He has his father who is asking after him and kind of warning him like to stop meddling in what he shouldn't. And he intentionally isolates himself for this singular ambition. And I think in the same way, um, we isolate ourselves for because of busyness, but I think we do it when we're sinning too, because yeah, we want to hide. We mm-hmm. want to hide what we're doing from others when that's right. actually when we need friends the right. most, and we need to let them in mm-hmm. into what's going on in our hearts because mm-hmm. they can they can stop us mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They they can be the wisdom that speaks right. into that. Like if you, I I just you just imagine if Victor had had a friend that had stepped in before he had done that, mm-hmm. how like you wouldn't have a story. But right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very that's a very interesting point, and I think is very is very true that often when we are in in sin or when we are feeling ashamed or whatever mm-hmm. maybe that we uh that that I think Satan tempts us to to isolate ourselves yeah. or to feel like either no one will understand or no one will accept you and that 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 is a lie that mm-hmm. that is really truly when we most need relationships yeah. and friendship so we talked a little bit about Victor just kind of being um, a jerk, essentially. I mean, that's how I would sum it up. But just how he is just loveless. Self-absorbed. Self-absorbed. And yeah, just like all the things you don't want to be. But he, you don't get a sense that he knows how to love yeah. anyone, really. I mean, he rejects the things that he's created. He, he's not... He's not great to any of his friends, rejects his dad. Yeah, so he's just not not and, an awesome guy. And even even with him, I think her characters are so complex because even with Fr- Victor Frankenstein, I did feel some sympathy. Like, I felt sad for him. You're nicer he, than I am. I, mean, I, just, I, felt, <laughs> I wasn't sympathetic. I guess I felt sad that he is blind, too. Yeah, that's and true. And he even says at the end of the novel, like, so he – uh, the monster says that he, well, this is a spoiler alert, I guess, <laughs> yeah. if you want to read it, but that uh, he will – uh, see him again on his wedding day essentially right. and so it's pretty obvious like well he and he knows something bad's gonna happen like, on his wedding day but he just yeah. assumes the monster's gonna kill him right. on his wedding day um which i'm like it seemed pretty it seems pretty obvious, obvious he, he would, would probably kill, kill your bride yeah. he's been killing everyone else around <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> and so he even says like he's just kind of describing this and says i was blind to the monster's right. meeting like and i thought that was so interesting like i think in a lot of a lot of the novel he is blind to his own faults yes, certainly yeah and in, and I guess I had sympathy for that because aren't we the same way that's true you know, that's a good that point we are often blinded by our own sin and and completely unaware of of, of our of, sin and, and, and how destructive it is yeah, yeah. And so we need other people mm-hmm. we need them to speak into our lives and to help us see those things um, for so. sure um I do think this the theme of love like Victor's sort of lack of love um and the monster's desire for love. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he desires a wife so that he can he can sort of share in. And part of that is friendship, but part of it is also love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think – but the monster also has, like, this conditional love, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the moment he's not given what he wants, he is immediately like, okay, well, I'm just going to exact right. vengeance. I'm going to kill yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just – it just, like, <laughs> happens immediately. There's no there's yeah. no pause between it. And so you don't get the sense that he's an entirely loving creature either. And right. – whether or not that's because of other people's fault or because of the monster, that's that's a different issue. But yeah. I think um, it's surrounding Mary's life. You do have this idea of love because I mentioned before the this idea of free love that mm-hmm. she that she lived around and just this this sense of sort of love unmoored from any sort of fidelity. Um, so she had a sense of being faithful to her husband, but that wasn't returned to her. And so, and and then she lost the love of her father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and she, by free love, you might want to define. Oh yeah, you mean essentially 
you love, love anyone you want, you yeah. want however yeah. many people you want. Yeah. Um, so they believed in just, yeah, you can have as many partners as you want. No, no monogamy, no nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and actually marriage is of the worst of things. They mm-hmm. married, but it was mainly for societal reasons. Right. Um, and so I think that, that idea of, of love is, is very connected to a lot of what she's writing. And I think, I think that's why with Victor especially, you, you have this sense that Victor Frankenstein is sort of a, a picture of her father. But I think, I think you could make the case that it might also be um, Percy a little bit. Some mm. of the descriptions, even if you read a little bit of biographies about Percy Shelley, they're not too dissimilar. Mm. Um, Percy Shelley was really volatile and um, very very haphazard in how he pursued life because he had this sense of of this sort of romantic ideal of of finding his own Mm self-actualization at any cost and I mean you see sort of the the detriment that happened around him that his first wife kills herself a Mm -hmm. lot of people think it was because of him um Mary Shelley's sister half-sister was also considered maybe in love with Shelley. She also killed herself when Mm -hmm. he refused to take her with them when they left. They also took her other sister. Um, And so, and then he had another friend who was part of their group and he ended up committing suicide. So there's just a lot of of sort of um, destruction. destruction. He also had, he had two children with his first wife whom he tried to get custody of, kind of, but not really, didn't really care about them. And you also don't get a sense in her journals or his that he had any care for the children that Mary had through him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do have the sense that he he doesn't have fidelity for people or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that so much of his ambitions for, for that romantic ideal mm-hmm. just pushes away everyone else mm-hmm. around him. And so I think perhaps Mary had an insight into what she was living with him mm-hmm. um, as you kind of see Victor, yeah, cre- wreaking that havoc around right. him. And I, th- I think that you get that sense with a lot of, of what Percy Shelley, he, he radicalized a lot of these ideas about free love. And mm-hmm. um, he, was, he was an atheist and he was a big proponent of socialism. And he, he used his poetry to sort of bring these radical ideas before, before people and to try to change society. And he really did accomplish that in a lot of ways. His mm-hmm. poetry was really um really highly regarded he's one of like he's the the best known romantic poet i would say mm-hmm. and his ideas really did shape ahead i think we still see a lot of his ideas i mean the idea of free love love whoever you want mm-hmm. seek your own self-actualization right um at all costs mm-hmm. because that's the ultimate aim of your life he still influences people that way mm-hmm. and i think what we can when we can look at frankenstein and whether mary shelley meant this or not you can still look at it and see our ideas have huge consequences yeah um and they can be really detrimental Mm -hmm. i think another this is changing lanes a little bit but i think another another thing that's very interesting is that frankenstein does attempt to create life as a man without a woman and kind of like just removes women from the equation Mm -hmm. and um and then the monster isn't given a name you know that he remains nameless and and just kind of this idea I guess of motherlessness throughout mm-hmm. the book and uh, kind of a lack of women I mean there are some women mentioned in the novel they're but not, not big characters really involved. at all yeah and I think it is certainly uh it's it's I guess kind of removing you know you see in 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 Mary's own life this these sad unfortunate ties between things like sex and mm-hmm. death and childbearing and all these things um and so I think those are those are difficult and sad realities to grapple with that I think she's trying to mm-hmm. to grapple with in this novel. And she's she's essentially removing procreation mm-hmm. and, and women from, I don't know if I want to use the birthing, but oh, creating, but, but, yeah, I guess, yeah. creating something. Yeah. yeah. 
and and just it is just an it's an interesting portrayal of what happens when God's I don't think this was her intention right but that I see it as you know when we when we stray from God's created order and his right. design the 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 havoc that that wreaks mm-hmm. you know so just changing lanes just a little bit um she subtitles so the the title of the book is Frankenstein but she subtitles it the modern Prometheus mm-hmm. um which is really significant particularly if you know anything about the myth of Prometheus. Why don't you tell us yes. a little bit about it? <laughs> so Prometheus was a Greek myth. Um, there's a couple different versions of it. Um, there, It's essentially he's a, I believe, a titan. Don't quote me on that. So he's one of the sort of like the layers of gods. And he goes to Mount Olympus and he steals fire from the gods, especially Zeus, and he brings it to humans. Now, it's it's kind of confusing because it's, it's fire. And you're like, well, what, what significance is that? It's essentially – he's credited with giving humans innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes the gods very angry. And as a result, Zeus chains him to a rock and has his liver pecked out and it regrows and it gets pecked out again. It's very gruesome. Mm-hmm. And you don't get any sense. And Prometheus has zero remorse for what he's done. He he is, so he's this, he's a, he has this sort of like heroic figure of he's the, he's the reason because he had sympathy on humans mm-hmm. um, that he brought that he brought fire to humans and innovation and all these wonderful things. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about the Prometheus myth myth is in the original, um, I need to find the name of the guy so I can say it correctly. So Hesiod, I think is how you say it. I never say Greek names right. So that's the original (laughs) tale when it was first told. Okay. When Prometheus brings innovation to Earth, um, to the humans, it's followed almost immediately by Pandora. And so Zeus gives Pandora as sort of like the female, the entrance of females into the human race. And if you know anything about Pandora, if you've heard the term Pandora's box, mm-hmm. it's basically she peeks into this box. She was told not to look in it. She peeks into it and she lets out all evil mm-hmm. on the human race. So mm-hmm. all evils go back to Pandora. Mm-hmm. And so you get this sense in, in the original tale of Prometheus that with this innovation comes great evil. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, um, now Mary Shelley might not have, have referenced that one originally because later um, myths of Prometheus omit um, Pandora. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get that sense of like with the innovation comes this evil. Mm-hmm. But in the original, that's there. And I and I do think that you still do get that sense in her book. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was the original that she had in mind when she, when she labeled it the modern Prometheus. And so what – why do you think she – I guess, yeah, what ties do you see to that in her novel? Why do you think she gave that the, the subtitle? So I think with um, with what Victor is doing, he he talks about, I, I mentioned earlier, the, this idea of the Philosopher's Stone. The, the Philosopher's Stone is this idea that it can turn, is it, it can turn anything into gold. Is that right? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just, it's this like innovation for humans. It's kind of like you hear all these different things like the Fountain of Youth or um, the Elixir of Life or all these different things and there are these myths that exist to basically say humans can have it more without God right um and so that is what you get with a sense of Victor is he's looking for being sort of the master of his own fate mm-hmm. um and for for vanishing death mm-hmm. from humans right. um and so he sees himself in a lot of ways I think as Prometheus mm-hmm. and so as she paints him I think you you do see um he's successful mm-hmm. he brings he does animate life right so that's this successful experiment in science and yet with it brings um nothing but trouble right yeah and i do think it's significant that she brings the the modern prometheus into the subtitle in addition to bringing milton in mm-hmm. into the book as kind of kind of two con almost con i don't know if you'd say contrasting but kind of two different views of of the divine will and mm-hmm. of man's involvement in that and 
and she talks about um, just that. So in in Milton, he he says in the opening that the purpose of his poem is to justify the ways of God to man, and so that that type of defense is what we would call a theodicy, and mm-hmm. it attempts to explain essentially the goodness of a God who allows evil, and so mm-hmm. kind of in the modern Prometheus is is a very different view of. Right of that and and I think that it's just interesting that she kind of interweaves both of those into her story and it 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 does seem like she is um I guess shifting away from a defense of God into kind of accusing those who desire godly power like Mm -hmm. Victor Frankenstein like she's kind of accusing um man trying to become God you know um and and I think Karen Swallow Pryor maybe says this but that um the she kind of makes the arguments that the romantics would have have um i guess related more to or even seen satan in in paradise lost mm-hmm. instead of christ as kind of the more heroic right. character which i think is just helpful in understanding her novel and mm-hmm. kind of the view that perhaps she's coming from and it's interesting I think even in in our modern day society, as you've said, ideas certainly have consequences Mm -hmm. and that we can still see a lot of that in our modern day society that I think the kind of like autonomy and a bit Mm -hmm. ambition and just like, yeah, this unbridled ambition that that Satan kind of has in in, uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, but also that certainly Victor Frankenstein has in her novel is what our modern day culture in many ways values. Yes, and yet for sure. she's showing the danger of that unbridled mm-hmm. ambition. Right. Yeah. And you still, you even get the, this idea of ambition with Walton in the very beginning because mm-hmm. so he goes on this expedition and they, they get, I mean, the expedition to Arctic at, at that point. I mean, I think, I can't remember if it's before or after when Shackleton went on his expedition to the Arctic and gets stuck and has to save all of his men. But essentially, like, at that time period, a lot of those expeditions were happening and a lot of people didn't make it back. Um, so Walton is doing this expedition and his men beg to return mm. home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of near the end of the book. And he Victor tries to convince them to stay and basically like this basically saying like this ambition is greater than anything else mm-hmm. Walton and um spoiler I guess we already plenty <laughs> yeah. of spoilers yeah but, don't listen to, yeah listen don't, don't yeah <laughs> but like Walton does eventually decide to turn back which uh-huh. I think is an interesting contrast yeah to Victor yeah who refuses to turn back from his ambitions right. and that is a big part of like that Promethean idea of ambition being the ultimate right aim um which like you said in Paradise Lost is it, it Milton paints that negatively that is like the ultimate point of this of sin when Eve falls is because right. she pursues that instead mm-hmm. of trusting God right whereas the Promethean myth it's um it's cloudier and I think it's it's maybe a mix of both in in Frankenstein yeah 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 it made me think of uh, uh Shelley well actually one of my favorite poems by Shelley is called I never know if I'm saying it right. I think it's pronounced Ozymand- Ozymandias Ozymandias oh, okay, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with that but it's actually a really short poem it's easy very quick easy to read but it's basically about an ancient Egyptian pharaoh I think it's about Ramses the second um but so Shelley is describing he he's coming up to this crumbling statue of Ozymandias and it says you know the statue engraved on it says um my name is Ozymandias king of kings look on my works ye mighty and despair and so it's this very like uh, godlike kind of statement, mm-hmm. and yet the statue's crumbling, and everything around it is bare. And it's mm-hmm. it, it. So his point that he's he's making is that 
even this great king, this godlike figure, is right. is now crumbling away and kind of withering to nothing. And it's just this statue that has kind of been forgotten. And mm. um, and he, I, I think, is making the point in the poem that poetry is what outlasts, like, and right. what lives and what lives right. on. And so I would argue that that not not poetry, but that, right. <laughs> what, that Christ and what we do for Christ is what mm-hmm. outlives ourselves. Um, and so, but I th- I just, I, I do really love that poem because I think it is, I think as Christians, there's a lot that we can, that we would agree with essentially sure. in it yeah. and that we can take from it. Um, and I'm trying to remember what, I, I had a connection to what we were talking about with that, but I think, I guess just going back to, to ambition that mm-hmm. um, I, I do think this, this novel serves as, uh, a warning for what, where our, our ungodly ambitions can lead us for and, sure. and helps us to, I guess, in contrast, it's, it made me think about, well, what should my ambitions as a, like, does that mean, do, does it mean I don't have any ambitions? Right. Like what, what do you think? That it means yeah. Oh, I think, so I thought of, um, I actually, I can't remember what book I was reading about it in, or maybe I looked it up somewhere else. I don't know. I had a lot of things I was going everywhere <laughs> when I was reading about all this. But Thomas Jefferson, um, upon founding the University of Virginia, which is considered like the first secular institution or university, um, one of his things that he said was illimitable freedom of the human mind is is sort of like the – he put it kind of as their, their uh, motto, I guess. Hmm. So – I think Frankenstein gives us this picture of the illimitable, it's such mm-hmm. a hard word to say, <laughs> knowledge and invention. And I think we see that maybe that's not the ultimate aim. But right. I think when we contrast that to, like, say, Christ of this idea of the truth shall set you free, mm-hmm. um, you have you have sort of like these two, these two ends mm-hmm. um, and learning how to pursue our and like that's talking about knowledge but I think ambition fits well into that as well because I think I think those all kind of go together Mm -hmm. of this idea of of how do we pursue things um in a way that's Christ honoring and I think I think I think Frankenstein is a really good example of what not to do where it's this selfish ambition that's all about our own glory Mm -hmm. um, and it's about what we can accomplish with no sense of any sort of submission to anything bigger than us as opposed to the truth is Christ and if if the truth sets us free, we Mm -hmm. submit to Christ Mm -hmm. and we pursue everything in in order to glorify him. Mm -hmm. And I think with that sort of check in place um our our ambitions will be in the right place yeah amen yeah and i i thought of first corinthians 2 2 paul says for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified and that i i think uh you know i think sometimes in probably a, a good motive to not be uh, ambitious in a worldly sense, we think then, well, then therefore I should have no ambition. And right, that's also not silly, the case. Yeah. yeah. But that our ambition does have to be rooted in Christ and in mm-hmm. his glory. And that, even, that Paul certainly um, provides a good example to us of that, that, that he made it his aim to know nothing but Christ and him crucified mm-hmm. and that that is what he boasted of. And that, right. that so our ambition should be um, not for our own glory, which certainly, as Frankenstein shows us, yes. will lead to ruin, that pride right. will come before the fall, um, but that uh, we should be ambitious for the, the cause of Christ and should ask ourselves, what, yeah, what can I do that uh, will leave a legacy that outlasts myself? Again, mm-hmm. not for my own glory, but right. for Christ. And yeah, so, uh, yeah, it just provides us with, I think, a, 
important contrast to to the worldly ambition I guess you could put it that we see in Frankenstein yeah you mentioned before you gave the 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 Percy Shelley poem and um I think it's really interesting because you look at the romantics and you can be like I disagree with so much as a Christian I disagree Mm -hmm. with so much of what they said but they were reacting to the enlightenment Mm -hmm. um which again there's a lot I disagree with in the enlightenment (laughs) and so I think you can see but there's also some things in both camps that you Mm -hmm. can agree with um and I think what you see kind of on either extremes are just these very human reactions in trying to explain the universe without Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. and without what God says Mm -hmm. and so you have you have the romantics um especially kind of reacting with this and trying to explain away sin Mm -hmm. and say it's just circumstance and you even get that sense with Victor a little Mm -hmm. bit where he kind of blames his father and and there's always this blame shifting to something else. What I think is really interesting about the romantics and who, again, Rousseau basically said that we, we come as like a, well, Locke said it, that we come as a blank slate, um, that we, that all, all that we learn comes from outward. There's no original in us. And so there's no original sin mm-hmm. in all of, in all of that thinking. So the romantics didn't have that sense of, of we're responsible for the sin that comes from us. But it's interesting because they say it comes from society. Right. Um, but where does society come from? <laughs> True. <laughs> it comes from us. Right. And so I think that as you as you sort of sort through the romantics and and all of all of like what Mary Shelley is bringing forward, and if you read Percy Shelley as well, going back to kind of remembering that God says that sin originates in us. Mm-hmm. It's in our hearts. Um, it's not. It's not outside of us. Yeah. Um, it's not from. Like other things play into who we are, but mm-hmm. but ultimately, we're all the monster, right? Um, and we're the monster at his worst mm-hmm. without Christ. Amen. I think yeah. that's just a really important thing to remember as we engage with a lot of these ideas. Mm-hmm. That just to kind of remember what Scripture does say: of our heart is deceitful. Yeah. Um, we can't we can't follow mm-hmm. our hearts in order to find anything good. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. we we believe in original sin that mm-hmm. we are our sin we have inherited the sin of adam that right. adam you know his sin nature is our sin nature and that as reformed christians we believe in the depravity of man mm-hmm. and that we are born corrupt psalm 51 5 says behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me and so that there we are born in in sin we are mm-hmm. born depraved and that as you said said that only um by by god's grace through christ can we, you know, be saved from that? But mm-hmm. that there's nothing in ourselves that um, can, yeah, change our nature. And so right. it is a very different um, view of the nature of man than the rom- romantics would have. Right. Um, as you said, that they would think that, that those societal, societal influences are what corrupts someone. And mm-hmm. we would say, no, that's in all of our hearts that we're all born with that. Yeah, um, I, I was reminded of the of Jeremiah 2.13. Just the whole book sort of reminded me of this. Of um, So in Jeremiah 2.13, God is uh, condemning the Israelites, and he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that's what you see Frankenstein do. Mm-hmm. He denies the God who actually brings life, mm-hmm. and he makes this broken um cistern essentially that right. can't hold yeah. that it doesn't hold anything good mm-hmm. and i i think that seeing it in that light of the ultimate evil that we commit is rejecting god well we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and we would encourage you to uh check out karen swallow Pryor's guide to for it's a, I, i'm calling it a guide so it's essentially there's a an introduction that 
um, introduces the book and some of the themes, and then it, it is just a copy of the right. of Frankenstein, of mm-hmm. the manuscript of Frankenstein. Um, but we would encourage you to check out her guide and to potentially read it with someone else, or as I mentioned, this would be just a great uh, book for a book club or mm-hmm. something like that. Great opportunity to even involve some, some non-Christians as well and to discuss this uh, work of fiction that really does bring out so many important uh, questions. So thank you so much for being here with me tonight, Lydia. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like access to more resources, we have a website at allthingspodcast.org. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode.